what's your risk profile also determines what types of new things you'll do. Like, are you going to do, are you going to go out and try crypto or not? <laughs> right? <laughs> Minor detail. Are you going to try to stand up a crypto offering or not? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in FinTech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guest today is Laura Merling, Chief Transformation and Operations Officer at Arvest Bank, a community-based bank with over $28 billion in assets headquartered in Bentonville, Arkansas. Arvest traces its roots back to 1961 when its predecessor bank was acquired by Sam Walton, also the founder of Walmart. In this episode, we discuss the digitization of small and medium-sized banks. There are almost 5,000 banks in the U.S. How are they modernizing and riding the fintech wave? Pros and cons of building in-house versus partnering with technology providers. What path should you take? How should fintech companies trying to partner with community banks approach these relationships? Laura shares some of the best practices and also common mistakes, plus a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Laura from Arvest. Laura, welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast. Uh, welcome and, and excited to have you joining us. Where are you dialing in from? Ah, oh, I am. Uh, I'm dialing in today from Charlotte, North Carolina. Very nice. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> I know. I'm. I'm thrilled, and and uh, this is one of the the ones that happened very quickly, uh, in a matter of, of days, and and I, I know it's going to be a, a great conversation. Uh, so, Laura, I think it'll be great for the audience. Uh, maybe you can give us kind of a brief overview of uh, your career and and you know, how you landed in, in the role as a chief transformation and operations officer at Arvest. <laughs> Having that big title, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a mouthful, but um, no, I, so it's a great career, right? I've, I've spent the majority of it since the time I left, uh, I don't know, I'll say high school and, and early days of college, um, all the way till now has always been about helping companies with transformation. So it's taking on big transformational projects, helping people redefine business models, driving customer experience. But day one, I mean, I have to say, um, I was taking college classes and I got recruited by uh, Pepsi to go work on something at the time they called 10X. Now, this was a long time ago. I won't tell you how long ago. I'm just going to say a long time ago. And 10X, the project name was called 10X and it was about making Pepsi 10 times better. And it was really, how do you transform and automate businesses? So I don't know if anybody remembers the Palm Pilot. <laughs> Let's take you on the Wayback Machine. Um, but it was way back uh, using a handheld device called a Palm Pilot to track orders as truck drivers went from store to store. And that was a very long, we'll say in the 90s. We'll just kind of put it out there in the mid-90s. So imagine that. That was a long time ago. And since then, I've been doing the same. So I kind of went from that to spending some time. Uh, so I went to Pepsi and then got recruited out of there to a technology company that was doing uh, 4GL programming. Uh, and they're like, hey, you ask good questions. You want to come and teach people how to code? And I'm like, I have no idea how to code. Um, and they're like, we can teach you. 
Next thing you know, I spent the next 15 years in software companies um, and uh, I ended up teaching people how to code within about six months uh, and then started, I, I did this little thing called, I worked for an API company, API platform company called Mashery. And, uh, you know, I spent most of my time trying to teach people why they wanted an API. If you were a startup, you knew. Um, If you were a large corporation, you had no idea. So that, uh, from that, I kind of took a trajectory into industries. So AT&T, Ford, United Technologies, Aerospace, uh, did a step back into Google um, <laughs> to uh, to regain sort of my my tech cred, and then came back into Arvest. Um, you know what's interesting for me is you learn from industry to industry. There's things you can carry over about transformation, but I like the challenge of finding a an industry that needs um, that's going through disruption, and then trying to help people see their way through that disruption. And I think you know uh, financial services is ripe for that right now. Uh, as we've all seen, yeah, and I, I agree, and I'm sure the the audience also agrees. Uh, it it sounds like so you you've you've been in multiple industries and and had different roles, but it sounds like one of the commonalities is you've helped several large companies uh, transform and become more more digitized. I guess. <laughs> yes, that's uh, exactly it. <laughs> That's How? the common thread. <laughs> right, right. And, and I mean, I, I work for two very large banks and uh, I know how challenging that is because you 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 have a lot of stakeholders, a lot of legacy technology, right? What have you found to be, you know, some, some like key strategies to get things across the line and, and to help these companies uh, improve and modernize uh, their, their systems? First and foremost, patience. <laughs> no, I mean, I think so there's a there's a, a process that I try to try to follow. Um, and it's kind of a, a framework that says first you have to know where you're going before you transform, right? You want to have a direction. So what's your business strategy or goal over the next few years? Uh, the next part of it is, do you really understand your customer and your customer base? Um, and your customer is both your internal customer and external. Um, and then part of it is technology. Have you done a technology assessment, right? Looking across, where are you? What infrastructure do you have? What what capabilities do you have? Um, what skills do you have relative to that technology? What metrics do you have? What do you measure? How do you measure it? And then putting in place governance. But the thing that's probably the most important out of all of that, right? Because you kind of got to know where you're going to then know what technology strategy to implement and what what pain points are you trying to solve? Once you have all that down, the actual best tool is communication. Um, You cannot communicate enough. Like I have, there's a set of slides that I have not changed since day one, since I started at Arvest and I use it to start every conversation. There's like three slides that I use to start every conversation. So it's about communication and consistency. So let's zoom in on the digitization that is happening right now amongst small and medium-sized banks, right? Um, there, I think the U.S. is the only country that has almost 5,000 banks out there. And, and obviously there's the large ones, but, but then there's you know, a crazy number of small, medium-sized banks with 
meaningful balance sheets, right? And and they all need to jump on the fintech bandwagon. So um, maybe t- tell us a little bit about this this pace and, and what are some of the trends that you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think so. First of all, the the smaller banks, you know, like Arva, small to mid sized banks. Um, part of it is how do you leverage your legacy and your experience in being a community bank? And what does that mean? And how do you translate that into a digital world? I mean, I think we all learned through the pandemic across every industry, right? That there are things that people want to be able to do digitally. And there's expectations about what they can do digitally. Like whatever I should be able to do by walking into a, a bank branch, I should be able to do digitally. Um, and so part of it is this this first set of 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 what does it mean to be a community bank in a digital world? Um, the other part of it is figuring out for you where your strengths are as a bank. You know, if if we step back and look at our strengths, I mean, one of them is in agriculture, right? We're number 17 in the US in agriculture lending. Well, how do you leverage that and how do you expand on that? Um, how do you expand on we have a lot of small business customers? Um, how do you how do you leverage the foundation and framework you have there? Um, we are known for our relationships that we create with our customers. How do we leverage that? So it's all about figuring out what does that future state look like, but how do you leverage what you have as your existing foundation uh, to be able to to set as a framework, right? And, and there's always the, I guess, the question: Do I build it or do I partner with someone? And and there's a whole ecosystem of fintechs fintech companies and some date back you know several decades some are more recent uh that their whole purpose is to help small and, and medium-sized banks uh digitize we we have as part of the audience we have several founders and operators from the fintech world what what best practices would you like to share with with those fintechs trying to partner with banks Wow, that's a that's a really good question. It's fully loaded. Um, <laughs> um, I think part of it is understanding, and and I think the majority of them do, but but making sure you're stepping back and thinking about the risk level that that bank is willing to take, um, how they think about compliance, right? Um, understanding that that but the risk profile is probably the, the first uh, starting point, um, but also understanding. Where are they in their journey? What problem are they trying to solve, right? If you think about all the fintechs, everybody's taken a niche that they're trying to solve for. Figuring out where that niche applies to, to each bank that you're trying to talk to or not. Is that is that a problem they're trying to solve right now? If not, you're not going to make it far, right? It has to be something that they're trying to solve for. Um, I also think about how you simplify it into a single project getting people started versus hey take the whole technology stack um the last one that we've we've seen a, a few times is you know you have to tell us what you really have and what you don't really have we have a lot especially like Arvest, right we're going through a major transformation right now so we have a lot of projects going on right we have a lot of programs that we're driving around transformation some foundational and some more strategic um, finding out midway through that the product doesn't actually do what we thought it would do is really difficult for us, right? Um, and so making sure that that we all know going in, yes, we have this, no, we don't. These APIs are built, no, they're not. Oh, by the way, you have to have, you know, you being Arvest, you have to have these services built or not. So having that real clear 
understanding of of what's there and what's not there is really, really important um, because, you know, you don't want to get halfway through something, especially during a major transformation and and not not be aligned on what it can and can't do. Because as a as a bank with a, you know, low tolerance for risk, <laughs> um, we're going to pick a different vendor, right? We're going to go pick a different partner. And so I think it's really, really important just to be aware of that. And so I guess for vendors, it's about asking the right questions and meeting with the right people. Like, because it's, it's, these are large organizations. How do you actually find out and make sure you have all your, I guess, requirements analysis before you start going? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, so part of it is, so, it, and, you know, banks or every bank is structured a little differently. Um, it's figuring out. Um, so there's... A lot of times the the individual um, product teams will have their own technology teams, but then you have a centralized technology team. I think it's talking to the the business customer, right? So if I'm in treasury, right? I've got a I've got a business partner that owns treasury, but then they might have their own product people around treasury, but then you have a centralized technology team. It's making sure that you talk to all those people in that in that chain and have a very clear understanding of, okay. What exactly do you need, right? How does that get configured? How does it get set up? Making sure the architecture team is engaged. <laughs> As you can tell, I've been going through some of these uh, challenges at the moment. So uh, it's really important just to make sure everyone's engaged. Yeah, and, and maybe tell us, uh, you, you, you did give us a, a bit of an overview about Arvest, but maybe tell us a little bit more about Arvest and, and some of the transformation projects that you're working on. Yeah, so Arvis itself has been around. Oh gosh, I'll say the Bank of Bentonville has been around for about a hundred years, and then Sam Walton um, uh, bought it back in, about sixty years ago. And so the bank's been around for a while. Um, it's in a four-state footprint, so we're a little over twenty-six billion dollars in assets. Bank, um, we're across, uh, you know, Arkansas, Oklahoma, uh, Kansas, and Missouri. Um, so when you think about that and, and what our reach has been, we have some services that we do outside of that footprint, but a lot of it's there. Um, you know, over time, uh, the bank has, as all banks do, right? You acquire new new companies or new branches. Um, how much of it do you digitize or not? Um, when we look at where we are, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to do, right? We want to have a single view of a customer. We want to make sure, like everybody. Um, Actually, almost every bank, when you think about it from a like commercial lending perspective, a lot of that is still done um, manually and on paper. How do we automate that? Um, so it's looking both how do we improve customer experience and how do we improve back office operations across the board? Um, and part of that is this, you know, we also want to be able to set ourselves up for the future. I want to make sure that Arvest Bank is around, or we all want to make sure that Arvest Bank is around for the next 60 years. <laughs> and in order to do that, we got to make sure that we have modern technology, modern technology infrastructure. So at the foundation, we have this modern technology stack so we can expand the business. Yeah. And, and I guess compared to other industries where you've worked, telecom, auto, uh, <laughs> banking, I'm guessing, is maybe a little bit more regulated than than the rest. 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, they're all, all, I've worked in all regulated industries. That's true. Um, That's true. <laughs> I would say, I would say the regulatory is, is different, right? The AT&T regulatory is very different than, you know, at Ford, I worked in autonomous vehicles. And when you think about the regulatory around, around that, it was still being defined, right? While you're doing it, it's being defined. And so restrictions, things, tight, uh, guidelines were much tighter, right? Back several years ago, you couldn't have, nobody would allow a fully autonomous vehicle on the road. Well, now like in Arkansas, there's fully autonomous vehicles doing doing drives from warehouse to distribution center. I think that the difference, and then and then UTC, United Technologies Aerospace, it's aer- aircraft, right? You, there's there's a lot of restrictions around aircraft. The the I think the thing to think about about financial services, the regulatory environment is um it's strong and it's it needs to be. I think part of it is also the risk profile of a company, like how, and not that you want to be risky, but what's your risk profile also determines what types of new things you'll do. Like, are you going to do, are you going to go out and try crypto or not? <laughs> right. Minor detail. Are you going to try to stand up a crypto offering or not? Um, maybe not right now. Uh, but it's, so it's, it's, it's that balance, but yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I always go, I'm, I'm not, it's not an autonomous vehicle, right? So I'm in financial services. I'm not going to hurt anybody. Well, I'll hurt, I might hurt somebody in a different way. There's financial injury, but on the flip side of it, there's physical in- injury. And so I kind of look at both and go, all right, how do we think about this logically? There's got to be a way to solve a problem, um, you know, just like we did over here. So they've all been regulated. It's more um, to the degree in which it's tracked and more to the degree in which it will have an impact. And so it's just, I think it's regulatory press risk profile. I don't know. Sorry, I, I keep saying that, but it's it's just a, it is the combination of both. <laughs> no, it, it, it does make sense, and and it shapes uh, the environment. So when you've pro- you've you, you've definitely led several teams, uh, maybe tell us a bit about your management style. How would you describe it, and how has it evolved? <laughs> I think. I think you should ask my team about that, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, my poor team. Uh, so <laughs> my management style is, it, uh, I told somebody said to me the other day, they said, I don't want you, you don't need to come to this meeting. You probably don't want to watch the sausage being made. And I said, actually, I want to be part of the sausage making. <laughs> you know, I think for me as a leader, I like to be hands-on and involved. I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to tell anybody how to do their job, right? I hire really smart people and they they do their thing. But I can't help. I can't help my team with issues if I don't know it well enough, right? And so for me, it's important to make sure that I understand that. So my my leadership style is very much like, hey, I trust you to your job, but oh, what, by the way, can you bring me along for the ride? Because I want to make sure that I'm able to support you when I go talk to the executive committee or to the shareholders. I want to be able to describe what the problem actually is, not just be able to talk to it on the surface level. And I want to understand in depth why something is a certain way or why something happened or why we're making this choice versus this choice. Um, it's really important to me to be able to support the team. So that's my, that's my style. Is, is <laughs> my call micromanagement, your, but <laughs> <laughs> is, is most of your team remote or in person? Yeah. So my team is, is uh, fairly, as you might ex- expect. So the, the main um, majority of our technology team is in Bentonville, Arkansas, but we've just recently over the last probably six months to 10 months started hiring more people out of, out of footprint so they can live anywhere. 
Um, my management team right now is about 40% uh, in foot, I'll call it in footprint, right? So in the market in which our business is in and the other um, 50%. So I've got like, I guess it's 50-50. So I got 50% that are in footprint and 50% that are out of footprint. Um, and so I've got a couple of folks here in uh, in Charlotte. Uh, there's a uh, some folks in uh, California, <laughs> so we've we've got some people in a, in a few places. I have somebody in Florida, so it's more about where we find the the talent and the culture. And I think what's been interesting for me is, you know, we start with culture questions. We don't start when we do interviews. We start with culture questions first. We don't necessarily start with technology questions um, when we're looking at hiring uh, team members because it's really important that you can, you know, that everybody works together well and you understand what is the Arvis culture, which for me, I've not seen anywhere else in any company I've worked at. So uh, the culture here is pretty amazing. Yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about the, the culture, right? What, what kind of person are you looking for? So yeah, the the culture here is what I call the Arvest nice. Um, everyone is very genuine, um, but they're also very focused on the customer. They go out of their way to solve a customer's problem, whatever it is, whether they have to do something manually or they have to make 10 phone calls to go do it, they solve the customer problem. Um, you know, which is which is great. <laughs> some of it's also created some of the manual work that we have versus automating it, but we're working on that. Um but it's just that, you know what, I'm here to ensure the customer success. And that focus on the end customer is really, really important to us as we think about how do we go from being, you know, a community, uh, you know, an in-person community bank, how do we capture that culture as we move to being digital? And that's why it's really important that as we, that we start interviewing, we look for that, you know, are you thoughtful? Are you thinking customer first? Do you know how to collaborate well and work together as a group? Um, we have a lot of things. Well, while we have a, a, an owner of a decision, it's still done collaboratively, right? There is a group of people that look across the problem and we look across the different aspects of the bank to make sure that that we're addressing all aspects of a particular problem or pain point that we have to solve. So I think it's the customer first aspect. Laura, before I let you go, um, you offline, you were mentioning that oh. you, you have you're working on a project. Now, maybe tell us about how, you know, you're, you're very close to a, a specific project. <laughs> you mean the project I'm almost done with? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So, uh, thank you. You're, you're funny. I appreciate it. Um, so, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that I, I kind of, when I, my very first project I did, I was in college and I'd left college um, I wasn't quite done with school when I left to go do this work at at Pepsi, but I was like, hey, it's Pepsi. It's a brand name. It's really cool. I'll get some great experience. Um, I am now obviously maybe 30 years past that, and I'm still not done with my degree. So I've been finishing it up. Uh, I took the time during COVID. I got most of my classes done because everything went online, which was awesome. <laughs> um, I now only have two classes left. I'll have one in the fall and one in the winter semester. And uh, by next spring, I will finally have my undergrad. And uh, it is not in finance, although the undergrad I have, uh, it's a, a degree in uh, business administration, but with a minor in economics. So kind of financial services related. <laughs> I love it. That, that's going to be a, a fun graduation, I'm sure. It will. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Thank you for well, asking. 
No, fascinating, fascinating. And then shows to folks that sometimes you don't need a, a college degree to accomplish great things. Um, well, it's like you said, even with your own, what you've been able to do, right? It's all about having passion. It's about what is your passion and finding that and you can succeed if you if you have passion. Love it. Love it. Well, Laura, th- thank you for stopping by. Uh, very interesting conversation. Certainly small and medium-sized banks in the U.S. are not going anywhere. So it's going to be an interesting area to follow. And, and I'm sure also we're going to see more fintechs uh, focused on it. So thank you for educating us. Absolutely. Thank you for the time. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode with Laura Merling from Harvest. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. And if you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, please drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armazo.